Well, good morning, everyone. Somebody's Blackberry. Who's is that your Blackberry? What a great testimony that was, Mark. Thank you so much for that. I could have listened a bit longer to that. That's the kind of thing we, we've got to learn to celebrate success. We've got to learn to celebrate what God is doing. And uh, there is a lot of negative talk. There's a lot of things that could be said negatively. But I want to say there's a lot of good things that are happening as well. And that was very, very exciting. And I think uh, go for it. That's absolutely great. Also, thanks to the band as well. Uh, I thought that was great. Well, well led. Was it Phil that led it? Was it? Good, good lad. Well done. And I like the drummer as well. You're a good man. You are. What's your name? Tim. Good drummer. Good drummer. Very often you can get the, the, the instrumentalists, you know, they just play their instruments and don't enter in. But increasingly I'm seeing that what a great band this was. Everybody was really entering and to have a drummer singing away there as well as playing. Fantastic, mate. Very good. Hit the right notes as well. <laughs> Which is always a good thing to do, I suppose. Well, it's great to be with you here. Um, I'm kind of three and a half weeks, am I, or something like that, into this new role, and still I'm the foggiest what's happened, really. It's a, a very, very strange situation. How many of you, just as a matter of interest, were at the conference? Okay, so that, it's a minority of you that were at the conference. And so just let me... Oh, it's Superman. Is this, is this your boy? So you've left your phone over there. Now you're having Superman come to see you. How are you, mate? Good to see you. Nice that you brought your boy along. That's great. Good on you. Um... I kind of got voted in, as, as you obviously will realize, at the conference. It came as a total sideliner for me. I had no idea. I've, I've lived for the last three years in Australia, thought we were out there for life. That didn't happen, and within three quarters of an hour of us making the decision to come back to England, um, I received a phone call and asked whether you know, they could put my name forward for this role of uh, what used to be national superintendent, now national leader. And I, because of the timing of it, said yes. I'd served Paul, actually, for five years on his first team and had been a regional superintendent, but I'd never, ever thought, it never entered my mind uh, that I would kind of find myself in the role that I'm now fulfilling. And certainly, this last three and a half weeks has been very, very interesting. Uh, that's one way of putting it. I, uh, I bought a new car so that I'd be able to travel because I thought I'd be doing a bit of travel, but in the last three and a half weeks, I've done nearly getting on for 4,000 miles. Uh, and so that's a fair bit of travel, going up and down the country, seeing folk and seeing exactly what, what's happening at uh, the grassroots level. And so it is a great privilege to, to be with you here in this particular region. From here, I shoot off to the Midlands, uh, where I am yeah, at a meeting tonight and also tomorrow. Just to let you know this, uh, people are saying, well, where am I living now? Well, we're, we're buying a home in the Bristol area because that's where our family are. I'm, I'm married to a grandma, and, uh, <laughs> and she's left me, to be honest. She's left me. She's gone back to Australia. <laughs> Didn't take her long to leave me, did it? Uh, our daughter, we've got one daughter that stayed over there in Australia. She married an Aussie. And she's had four wisdom teeth out this last couple of weeks. And so Andrea, my wife, went back to be with her. I said, how long are you going to be gone? She said, it's about two weeks. And when we looked it out, it was three and a half weeks. So uh, my wife comes back on Wednesday, which will be, be kind of nice. <laughs> and um, we're buying a home in Bristol because that's where our family are. Uh, but, of course, the offices for Assemblies of God are in Nottingham. And you can't commute. 
from Bristol to Nottingham. So I decided to buy accommodation up in that area, and I've bought a barge. And uh, I'm living on a barge. It's the most marvelous thing you can You see all that. You all think, well, what have we got as a national leader here? I know what you're thinking. I want to tell you there's something wonderful at the end of a full day to be able to go back and sit. And, uh, of course, it's been good these last couple of weeks. Sit on the barge and see the ducks and the swans come. And it's very, very good. And just a tremendous thing. So I can't wait to show my wife what I've bought. <laughs> Please pray for me on Wednesday. <laughs> uh, so we've got, that's where we go. We're, we're going to be based in Bristol as far as accommodation goes. And also for two, three, perhaps four nights, I don't know, um, I'll be in the, in the Nottingham area. A couple of little announcements to make that have happened over the last couple of weeks. In fact, this one only happened yesterday. And I'm not going to tell you where it is because it would be wrong to tell you before I tell uh, other folk of a part of the team. Uh, but we have got, I think, singly, the best place in the country for our conference next year. No shadow of a doubt. And I, I noticed a majority of you didn't go this year. It was a good few days. It was a, 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 people are speaking positively about it. It was a great, great time. And I will prophesy right now that this next year is going to be even better. The venue that we have got... And you can think where it is if you want. There is no better complex in the country. That is the fact. I, I, I went to it two weeks ago, and I went back yesterday, and I thought I'd seen it two weeks ago, but it's twice as big as what I thought. It's got rooms for seminars, three rooms that we can have seminars in, each holding two or three hundred. That's just the seminar rooms. But I won't say any more. But it is superb. I called on a favor of a friend, and uh, he responded well. So that's good. So the conference is... Now, the only thing I want to say about conference as well, I'm very, very keen for it not to be a, an old boys club, and I want it to be partners if possible. So if you do come and you're able to bring your husband or your wife, depending on whatever, you know, whether you're a senior leader of a, and bring your teams along, then that will be great. And so that it's a leadership conference, but it's in May of next year. You'll have the dates. And if you can come as husband and wife, then that will be even better. That's if you're married. And if you're not married, then come along and you might find one. Who knows? I don't know. That's what I used to go to conference for, to have a good look around, see what the talent was. Can you remember them days? Where's Mr. Mundy? When he was, you know, with the boss kind of thing. And Mr. Mundy's here, isn't he? Where's Mr. Mundy? Where's Keith? When you, when you used to be at the conference, I used to be one of the naughty young men that kind of looked around for a young lady. And I found one at the conference. It was the Elim conference I found it, but don't worry about that one. Oh, dear me. So that's the conference. And the other thing is, uh, you'll see it advertised in the Joy magazine. There's going to be some massive changes regarding the magazine um, before the end of the year, I'm sure. But... Um, There'll be an advert appearing very shortly regarding two special days. One in the north of England, one in the south of England. For, on the Monday it will be for the 20-year-olds to the 30s, 20s to 30s. And the second day will be for the 30s to 40s. So what we're doing is going to gather together as many young leaders as possible, either emerging leaders 
or established leaders. It'll be by invitation only, but everyone, it's not going to be exclusive, but I want pastors and regional leaders to feed me the names of men and women that could come to just one day. First day will be for the 20-year-olds plus the 30s and 30s to 40s on the second day and those two events are going to take place in September and it will be a great place of connecting and being able to uh, get to know some of these young younger leaders so there's a few things that are happening uh, for your information the um, the conference because a, a lot of you weren't there perhaps I ought to say when I got interviewed for this particular role. I've only ever been involved really in pioneering and pastoring and left a situation in Australia, which was a large situation and very, very thrilling. And they said, well, what do you think you can bring to the fellowship? And I thought, well, what do I say to that? And, and I came up with five Fs quite almost spontaneously. Yeah, don't try and think what they are. Come think of it. But the, the first one was, I, I believe we need to get back to recognizing we're a part of a family. I remember the old conferences and there was a very great sense of belonging. It's true that that has not been the case over recent years. That there's been a lot of grumbling, there's been a lot of uh, joining of other networks and I totally understand that. I'm like a game poacher turned gamekeeper really. So I understand the, the feelings. But we really have got to get back to this aspect that we're a part of a fellowship. And as a fellowship... We belong to one another. So these days are very, very exciting as we belong to a family. And not only do we want the family, but I believe we need the feel-good factor. That has been lacking. Whether we like it or not, you can only move forward when you admit to where you are. And the feel-good factor has been missing, generally speaking. But it's time to get it back again. God is doing some good things. It is time to turn the whole thing around and to begin to, as I say, like you've done already this morning, celebrate the good things that are happening. I believe we need to get the fun factor back as well. A lot of miserable, jolly church leaders around. I mean, I travel, I said, Billy Graham says that God never uses a miserable Christian. That's an absolute fact. And so, you know, you can enjoy this life. It's only one life that we get. So we might as well enjoy the journey that we're on. I enjoy life to the absolute full. And, and just take a look at the person next to you. Take a look right now. That should make you laugh. I mean, look at them. Just have a... So, uh, so I, I, I believe that that was something that, that's a part of my personality. I, I, can't, I have a great laugh every day. It keeps me young. You wouldn't think I was 96, but that's just because I keep keep laughing a lot. I also believe we've got to really re-engage with the faith factor. Now, by that, I mean this. It's time that we had a whole number of churches breaking through the thousand barrier and the thousands barrier. And that we began to really believe for signs and wonders and the miraculous. And that every week we went for souls. Listen to me. If you hear nothing else of today, tomorrow, those of you that are senior leaders or those of you that are leading meetings, go for souls. You say, but I'll know everybody there. They're all converted. Well, go for souls. Still go for it. If you don't go for them, you'll never get them. I've seen pastors converted in my meetings. I tell you, in fact, he's the first one. Look at this. I see that hand. Glory to God. If you never go for anything, you'll never get it. So start going. You, you, can, you can be teachers of the Word of God, but apply it in the way that people can give their lives to Christ and give an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move. 
we are Pentecostal after all. It's no longer our distinctive. It used to be, but it's no longer because Pentecostal and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of that scene of the Holy Spirit is in every denomination going. But we have got the longest history and we ought to still be right out there pushing in. We've actually given up some of our distinctives and others have overtaken us. Well, let's regain the territory and start being men and women of the Holy Ghost, believing for the miraculous and going for souls. And the last F was the whole thing of fathering. And uh, I felt very, very strong about this one that um, I've got a great family. I've got three kids. My son is my best pal and uh, so you know it's very very good and then one night I felt God speak to me it's time to be a father I thought that's a strange thing having three kids and you know what what do you mean not gonna have any more kids do you mean that'd have been a miracle but I suddenly realized that there is a lack of fathering around and I thought it was a fathering of young men and women and then I really felt the Holy Spirit say this, don't you realize, John, everyone needs a father. Everyone. So it doesn't matter how old or how young we are, we need people that will come alongside us, speak into our lives, put our arms, uh, put arms around us and help us in our journey. And so I'm going to be repeating those things over and over again so that we get them. Let's get the feel-good factor. Let's get the family factor. Let's put the fun back into serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's believe for the miraculous and be men and women of faith. And let's raise up fathers that can in turn recognize and release younger men and women in the work of God. And so that in a nutshell is what I said uh, at, at the interview. I'll tell you this because I've got the job now. I didn't intend it, but, but you know, one of, one of the guys, I sat around this big table and I had an informal interview first of all. That was very nice. They treated me very nice. The NLT did, or, you know, very, very friendly. And then they said, well, you've had that. It's gone, okay, John. We want you to come back for an official interview so that everything can be done properly and be seen to be done properly. And I was flying back to Australia. They said, we'll fly you back. So I went back to Australia, was there for about, I don't know, a week. Then I flew back again for this official interview where I put a shirt and tie on and looked all posh. I sat down and it was just the same as the other one, really. Same same thing. Waste of money, this. But then, one of the guys said to me, John, how much do you want this job? That was a funny question. So I thought, well, I've got to be honest. Now, they've just flown me over for the interview. And I said, well, I don't really want it. That killed the atmosphere in that. I said, no, no, you've got to understand that I'm only sitting here, not because I want this position or this job or this role, but all I can say is that in the leading of the Lord, there is something of God in it, as far as I'm concerned, that I can't escape from. And so actually, I can't say that I've ever thought about it or ever wanted it, but believe that God is in it. They thought I was being humble and said, well, we unanimously approved. I wasn't being humble, I was just being truthful. (laughs) So I believe actually that there's something of destiny about what is happening. I don't understand it. I know you've got questions and answers this afternoon. That's going to be very interesting. Uh, Make them easy, please. Otherwise, I'm going to be filling them all to Dave to answer.
But the truth of the matter is, it's time for us to push into something fresh. And I know this thing about a new day. I've been in the Assemblies of God long enough when we've had more new days than we have nights. It's, you know. But there is something happening. There is something happening. And we can't deny it. And uh, I am excited about both the present and the future because of the past. And even the negatives and the hurts and the pains of any past actually only help to make us what we are today. So let's together believe that something really can happen and let's really continue along this great journey. So we come to the word of God. Let's pray together. Father, right now, help me to communicate something of divine truth so that every man and woman is blessed, encouraged, or challenged. Cause your word to live, I pray. And may it be that, Lord, your word will come as a two-edged sword, sharp, and accomplishing all that it is meant to in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. What time do I finish, Davy? Twelve. Great, great. Okay. Great, good, 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 good. How many of you know this name? Gunter von Hagen. Why? See? Two. Just, it's the young guys that know it. Have you watched his program on telly? Well, if I, if I mention a guy that wears, I used to think it was a trilby, but that's not the proper name for what he wears. He's the guy that has a program on telly that carves up bodies. Ah, you all know him now, don't you? Weird looking guy kind of thing. And he, he talks about it. And one, one of his programs, he cut, this is a great message, he cut the skin off a person, a dead, dead person. <laughs> Otherwise, the person would have been going out all the way, wouldn't they? Cut the skin off a person and in one complete thing. He's the person that takes out all the guts and, and, and he, he teaches about the anatomy of the body in a very, very unique way. I mean, I, I looked at the program like that, you know, I was watching through my fingers kind of like that. Very, very interesting character. Very, very interesting program. I want to speak to you this morning about the anatomy of a leader. It was on Wednesday night, I think. I was on my boat. Have I mentioned I've got a boat? And I felt the Holy Spirit begin to talk to me. And so this is brand new what I'm going to share with you. And uh, if it doesn't work and you all think it's rubbish, tell me because then I won't go to any other region and share it. But these are just some thoughts that I began to have just this past week about the anatomy of the leader. The dictionary definition, sorry, if I can just get me glasses, I'm getting old. The dictionary definition of the word anatomy is this. It is the science of the structure of organized bodies. That is, that when we dissect a body and discover its structure and its makeup, I want, over the next 45 minutes, to do a little bit of carving up. To dissect, if you like, you and myself, who claim to be leaders. Now, before we actually get to it, and we come to some parts of the body, let me set a foundation. By asking you a question, is God, is Jesus a leader? It's not a trick question. I know some of you think, oh, I know Partington, he's got trick questions. It's not a trick question, so you can answer me. Is God and Jesus a leader? He is, without a doubt. No question about it. You go to the Old Testament, hundreds of scriptures. Let me give you one. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down beside still or quiet waters and he leads me. Leads me beside the still waters. God is a leader. Go to the New Testament. Opening words of Jesus to his disciples. He says, hey boys, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. So, without a doubt, God, Jesus, is a leader. Now, when you think about that, and you go to the book of Genesis, and you realize that man was made in the image of God, that means that actually, every person living, not just those of us that are in this room, are leaders. There isn't a man or woman born that isn't a leader. In some aspect, the drug dealer is a leader. He leads people in the way of the drug dealing, like like you said. Every person that you can ever think of in some aspect of their lives is a leader. I'm not talking about any other kind of leader this morning than the person who has the call of God on their lives and considers themselves to be a leader in this Christian path. So I understand that everybody is a leader, but we're narrowing it down to Christian or church leadership. The second thing that I wanted to say as a foundation is this, that because every person is a leader, you either become that leader by design or by default. In other words, either positively or negatively, constructively or destructively, every one of us is is a leader, but how are you going to lead? Are you going to be a Christian leader that leads by design or by default? The call of God is on you, you lead your churches, or are you going to by design, determine to be the best leader that you possibly can. You see, great church leaders become so by the choices and the decisions that they make. God may put his hand upon you and have called you and anointed you to lead, But then there is a tremendous weight of responsibility that you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and you develop that leadership gift or you just get by with what is given to you at any particular time. Therefore in our churches we've got to consistently and continually be growing in our leadership gift and style. Let me tell you something. The day that we stop learning is the day I believe we ought to stop leading. I choose, by an act of my will, to read more now than I've ever read. And I've always actually been a reader. People would think with my personality that that's something that I wouldn't particularly do. But I I read all types of books, not just Christian books. I like the business type things and all of that kind of stuff. I like thrillers. I've read every Agatha Christie book. Know who done it. I just, I I like reading. But actually, I am choosing to read more now than ever before. I, I am choosing by an act of my will to apply biblical truths now to my life more than ever. I am choosing 
to go after wisdom, because the Bible says wisdom is supreme, get wisdom. Something that I've always, always kind of wanted to pursue, but probably haven't pursued it enough. But I want to do it more now than at any time before. Not just because of the role that now I've been called to fulfill. Why am I choosing that? Because we only get one life. Mine's ticking by pretty quick. Life is a little bit like a toilet roll, isn't it? You know, the nearer you get to the end, the faster it goes. <laughs> Think about it. Just this. The older you get, just time seems to whiz by. We've only got this one life. So we need to make it count. And therefore, I should not be satisfied with a leadership style of mediocrity. We talk about that God wants us to enjoy life to the full, but he wants you to be a leader to the very best of your ability. And you don't look around at others and say, oh, but I think I'm okay, I'm doing all right, I'm doing like this. No, are you the very best that God has intended and meant you to be? You should not be satisfied with mediocrity in your leadership style. I believe that we have a duty and a responsibility to choose by an act of our will to improve. And you have lots of examples in the Bible of both good and bad leaders. I'm not going to look at them today, but you only need to go to Hebrews chapter 11 to take a look. Or Perhaps you'll have a little look at Moses or Abraham or Ruth or Peter. Perhaps Daniel or Noah or David or David's mighty men or Rahab. Or perhaps the little boy that we don't even know his name who presented loaves and fishes into the hands of the disciples to be presented to Jesus. He was a leader. So we come to the main body of what I'm trying to say. What kind of a leader are you? What kind of a leader are you becoming? And will you, at the end of this morning, by an act of the will, make the decision and choose to say, by God's grace, as I'm taken apart this morning, determine to be better than I've ever been in my leadership gift, my leadership anointing, my leadership style. So let's start to dissect. Let's get the scalpel out and take the first bit of the body that I want us to look at. Vumph! The head of a church leader. And as we look at the head of the church leader, let's dig it in deep and begin to cut down and begin to think about the mind. Because the Bible tells me this, as a man thinks in his so he or she is. Our thinking is tremendously important. It's the battleground, as they say. Uh, battles are won and lost in the mind. Many Christian leaders are defeated before they even start because they've lost it in the mind. One of my favorite little things that I teach upon, and I could do a whole message on this, is the fact of where Jesus was crucified. He was crucified at Golgotha, the place of the Hmm. So a crucifixion took place at the place of the skull. And for many church leaders, there needs to be a crucifixion in the place of the skull. There needs to be a putting to death 
of anything that we think that is of a negative nature and not of a faith nature. Some things need to die and be crucified in the place of the mind. The truth is this, that our minds are so vitally important to be kept sharp and to think on these things, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of a good report. What do you think about? What do you fill your mind with? I suppose when we think about mind and we think of our IQ, if I was to ask you about your IQ, how intelligent are you? I, I mean, I, I left school with nothing. <laughs> Left Bible college with, no, we won't go there, nothing. Actually, there's a tremendous difference between intelligent quotia and being intelligent and having certificates that say we've got all kinds of degrees. So I think it's important that we try to develop our minds to the best as we can without IQ. But it's not IQ that I mentioned to you this morning, it's EQ emotional. Because I found a lot of church leaders that perhaps are intelligent and have knowledge, but they have a very, very low EQ. They don't realize how to really treat people, so they will invade people's space and not realize it. They will cast people aside and not understand that people are hurting and aching. That's why I loved Everything that you said. I'm with you 100%. Fantastic. Listen to what he says more than even what I'm saying because it's absolutely fantastic. But we need to develop the whole thing about our, our minds. What we think about. How, how we develop it. It's very, very interesting actually. The power of the mind. If I was to mention to you the placebo effect, how many of you would realize what I'm on about there? Probably most of you. What it basically means is this, that if Trevor came to me and he said, hey John, I've, I've, just, I've got loads of aches and pains in my body, so don't worry, I've got the pill for you mate. It's fantastic. It's a new miracle pill. It's only brought out last week. And I gave him this pill and said, you take that. And you know what? I'm going to tell you. By the end of the week, you're going to be feeling better. In fact, this has been done with lots and lots of people. Take that pill and you'll find out that it's all right. Do you know what? A high percentage of people that are told that, and yet the pill only is a sugar-coated pill with nothing in it, he would come back at the end of the week and proportionately, most people would say, fantastic. Greatest pill I've ever had. That really worked, Johnny. Thank you very, very much. It's the placebo effect. It means that I give him something, tell him something, and positively it helps the body itself to heal itself. But how many of you have heard about the nocebo effect? N-O-C-E-B-A. That's totally the opposite. And it's now been proven that just as there is a placebo effect, so there is the opposite. So uh, Dave comes to me, and well, I'll tell you exactly how it worked. Uh, They did it in America, and they got, I think it was, say, a hundred students. 
And they said, listen, we, we want to do some tests on the brain and we're going to need to put electrical charges through the brain. And uh, there won't be any long-term effects, but it is very, very possible. There is a high chance that over the course of the next week, you, you will suffer headaches and you will have bad headaches. And so these hundred students, they volunteered. This is an actual examination, actual test that took place. And they put these, what do you call them, um, electrodes, that type of thing, onto their head. Pressed a button and a, a light lit up here. They couldn't feel anything, but it was all going into them. The end of it, took it off and said, well, thank you very much. Come back in a, a week and we'll you know, let you know how the tests are and all this. They came back. And the question that they were asked, a hundred, hundred students, and I think it was something like 80% said, yeah, yeah, I, I actually have been suffering with bad headaches. I've had... Of course, what they weren't told is that there was no electricity going into them whatsoever. It was purely just a test to see what would happen. As a man thinks in his mind, so you don't realize the power that there is in the mind. And that is why we need to bring every thought into captivity. And if only we could lift the level, if you like, as we dissect our head and look into the brain and look into the mind, uh, then we could leave here different leaders, men and women of God, believe in the word of God, that he has anointed us, that Christ lives within us, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that no weapon formed against us can prosper. When we begin to fill our mind with the word of truth and we begin to think it and believe it, that has a tremendous effect. <laughs> but hang on a minute, I've still got the scalpel. Vumph. Let's have a look at your eyes. <laughs> the anatomy of a leader. As I remove the eyes, as uh, old Dr. Von Hagen, Gunter Von Hagen would say, I realize that this is the one of the gateways into who we are. The things that we see can influence who we are and what we become. It's a tremendous gateway, actually. Huh. The things that we look at. I've said this many times. Some of you won't have heard me say it, so I'll say it. That actually we do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. We do not see things as they are. We see things as we are. So the glass three quarters full or a quarter empty. How do you see it? Because how you are is how you view things. The mountain that is the obstacle or the mountain that can be climbed and conquered. Hmm. Our eyes tremendously, tremendously important. So what do you look at? I, um, it's no secret. All of us have got tremendous strengths and tremendous weaknesses. So I've got a lot of weaknesses. I've got a lot of things that still need Jesus to help me in. The scaffolding is still up. He's still working on me. One of the things that I have never had any part of, so this is this is spoken from the place of strength, not weakness, is I've never pressed a button on the internet and looked at anything bad. 
I've never been into anything to do with that whole area of pornography and that kind of thing. That's, that's not, if you like, now we have to guard ourselves, I understand that, but that's not been anything that I've ever been involved in. Being in Australia for three years, and even prior to that, I was constantly coming across people that were troubled and had problems in the whole thing of the internet. And uh, without making too big a thing of it, the chances are very, very high, very high, that some of you here are troubled in that area. And it's a closed door. Oh, dear me. We're talking about Christian leaders. You would just be amazed. There'll be a proportion here that obviously struggle in that area. That their eyes look at things that they shouldn't. Well, let's not go from a negative point of view. Let's go from a positive point of view. If any of you wanted to talk with me or if you felt you could get close to somebody and just open up, that in itself begins to defeat the enemy. I've got a number of people that I just ring up every now and again and just say, hey, how's it all going? How's how's that thing, you know, that little problem that you've got? Because it's actually, people think they've got it in control when very often it's in control of them. And I think that it's a... I've seen marriages ruined as a result of that jolly internet thing. It needs arresting. It does need dealing with. And here's the amazing thing. Don't think it's just a man thing. The number of women now that are involved in opening themselves up to stuff that is not profitable. It's, it's, it's quite a thing, quite a thing. Now I'm not saying that to condemn because that's not the type of message I would preach. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm just highlighting a very real problem that exists that we put behind closed doors and say, "Uh oh, we don't want to touch that. Well, we ought to. Because if we're going to choose to become better leaders, then we've got to allow the Holy Spirit to deal with the areas of which we've allowed entrance. And one of the entrances is through our eyes. I've never, I've never been involved in anything like that. But I'll tell you this. I've had times when I've watched too much telly. And I'm not anti-telly. I like, like telly. But you can, you, you can come up with all the kind of proper reasons. Oh, well, at the end of the day, need to, need to relax. <laughs> You're looking at the master person at being able to make up excuses. <laughs> so... All I'm doing is throwing out something there as we dissect it to say, hey, listen, if we're wanting everything to be a new day, then it's got to be a new day in our lives as well, whereby we lift the standard and we start allowing God to take us apart because I was very, very aware as to what we were singing in the songs that we talked about surrender and all that I am is yours. Hmm. Mm. So the scalpel goes in and I move down or remove across to your ears. In the anatomy of the leader, not only is it important the things that we look at, but it's also important the things that we listen to. I'm so glad of what happened this morning regarding that little testimony, but let me tell you that 
by and large, we have let go of the tremendous power of the word of the testimony. And uh, it's one of the ways that we overcome the devil. By the word of God, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the word of our testimony. And it's important that we have ears to hear good things. That we don't listen to gossip. Because it's not only those that speak it, it's those that listen to it. That fall into the same error. And, and we can get into meetings like this and at the end we can even be having our cup of tea and we can be saying stuff and listening to stuff that really we shouldn't be listening to. Get rid of it. The ears, tremendously important. What do you listen to? Listen to good things. Vumph. On the head of the leader is also the nose. And that that speaks to me of smell. <laughs> what do you smell of? <laughs> because we've all got a smell. That's a fact. We've all got a smell. You go into some houses. Every house has got a smell, hasn't it? Come to my boat. It's got a smell. <laughs> my wife will soon change the smell, I'm sure, but... <laughs> every building has got a smell every every local church has got its smell it's got its flavour it's got something that that we can actually identify one of, the, one of the strongest of all the senses is the sense of, of smell so what kind of fragrance do you leave behind <laughs> The beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll move on. There's there's quite a bit we could develop with that whole thing. I'm just throwing these things out. You can dissect it and develop it in any way you want. But I want to get to your mouth. What do you speak of? Of course, we can take things in through our mouths and we speak things out through our mouths. I'd love to know what kind of a spy you'd be. Come on, let's go and have a little look over here. Come on, you 12, come with me. What do you think of that over there then? What do you think was happening in that church? I don't think much of it. Oh, two people are saying, I smelt something good. I I, I could tell that God was there. I I saw something. Hmm. Two people that bring a good report and use their mouth for bringing a good report. I like being with people like that. I like being with people that actually stand out from the crowd because they're not speaking what everybody necessarily wants to hear. They're speaking what everybody needs to hear. They speak the the good report, the good things. In the book of James, there's a whole chapter that's given over to it. And because we haven't read the scriptures, and people will say, John, our new national leader, didn't read the scriptures, I'm going to read them right now. Then you can't say it. Not that I'd worry any rate. James chapter 3. My brothers and sisters, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, then he's a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits into horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, barges. Oh no, sorry, that wasn't me putting them in. Although they are so large, about 57 feet, and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. 
Even so, the tongue is a little member that boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set amongst our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. It's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile, of creature, of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It's an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so, but does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? (laughs) There's no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding amongst you? The, the, The truth is this. That I've already, not boasted, but I've told you I haven't got a problem in one area. I tell you this, it's a far harder thing to control the tongue. Really, really is. And how much damage is done by our tongue? I can either say something that will leave Tim feeling good about God and himself... Or I can just say a little word that he'll think about for months. Because it'll be sewn into here. I, I remember an occasion that I'm not going to go into. When I was pastoring in Liverpool and my son went off with the car keys. How many of you know I wasn't very happy? I wanted to go home for my dinner. And I couldn't because he was down Kentucky with the keys to the car. He came walking around the corner with his mates that had a good time, a good feed. And I stood outside the church waiting. As he walked towards me, I said something to him, which uh, I suppose belittled him in front of his mates. I mean, he was, he was a man in his own right, really. Really, it was a very, very tough time. He... Um, he didn't sleep at home for the very first time that night. He went to one of the elders' houses and slept there. Ooh, that was embarrassing. I had to meet him the following day and sit down with him and apologize profusely from what I had said in kind of, where have you been? I don't know, I can't remember what it was, but it was just just words that should never have been spoken. He said, well, that's not very bad. Left a scar. I, I, I know. I mean, I asked him to forgive me and he forgave me. I told you he's my best mate and it's never been mentioned since. But, but I'll guarantee, I ought to try this. I'm gonna, I think I might do this. I'll guarantee that if he was sitting here now and I said, Aaron, come here. Do you remember the time that I shouted at you and called you an idiot or whatever it was? Do you remember that time? He'd remember it. He'd remember it. What am I doing? I'm making a play for us to guard our tongues. Think more about the words that we say. You can pray for me in that area because I'm very likely to say stuff that I shouldn't. doesn't make it an excuse. 
The very fact that just about everybody has problems in that area doesn't mean that we can't make a choice to determine that we will speak less and listen more as wise leaders. You see, we're dissecting, we're looking at the anatomy, not of a leader out there, because we're all leaders. I'm looking at the leader of a church, whether it's an elder, whether it's a deacon, whether it's a worship leader, whether it's, I'm talking to you. And I'm talking to me. As we look at this, the head, and for some of you this doesn't really apply, but what about the hair? <laughs> Try not to look anywhere. Actually, most of you got a pretty good head. Well, no, no. I've suddenly caught the eye of some people. <laughs> I mean, that, that really just speaks to me of strength, only from the point of view of the story of Samson. And uh, and the whole thing about where, where does your strength come from? <laughs> and wherever it is, guard it, guard it well. See, I'm longing to get the scalpel in a little bit lower than the head. As we look at the anatomy of a leader, I now cut out the heart. Ha uh-huh. ha! Funny thing about the heart. King David, it was said, had a heart after God. I find that pretty strange. He was a murderer. An adulterer. And yet the Bible says that he had a heart after God. Hmm. I wonder why, why that was. Perhaps, perhaps it was that We also read about King David, that he was able to pen these words. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul, so my heart pants after you. Mm. I heard a message recently about the quest for intimacy. It's a great message taken from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. And in that message, I was reminded, and those of us that heard the message were reminded that actually God doesn't forbid burnt offerings. But he does want us to know him even more than the offerings that we bring. He wants our love songs, not just our songs about love. God wants our relationships, not just our rituals. He wants our hearts even above our heads. He wants us to chase the blesser more than the blessings. He wants us to pursue the anointer more than the anointing. It's quite a sobering thought really. God loves to be chased. Are you on the chase? For it's possible to know all about a person and yet not know them intimately. I'll give you an example. We can go down the W.H. Smiths after this meeting if you want. Some great magazines down there, so I'm told. I never buy them, but they're very, very popular. Can't even think of the names of them. It or... uh, I don't know what they're called. You'd know. Some of you would know. All I know is they're all pictures of the stars and the heroes of the 
present-day world, all the pop stars, uh, and they've got photos in. I've seen my daughter. She's had some of them. It's amazing what you can learn about Posh Spice. You can find out which hairdresser she goes to, what lippy she puts on, what tights she wears, what's her favourite designer. You can find everything out about Posh Spice in these magazines. And if you want to know about Davey, there's photos of him in there as well. His latest hair gel, the razors that he uses. It's just amazing to buy... Okay, okay, is that one of the magazines? I'm looking, you'd know. Okay, tell me, what's the magazines? These personal... Okay, that's the most popular one. Do you take that one, do you? Hello, yeah, it's nice to see you. I was just asking, I was just asking what the name of the magazines were. What is? Hello, I've just said that to you. What's the name of the magazine? Oh. Yeah, these are the kind of magazines, they tell you everything. You can, <coughs> you can know all about Michael Jackson. Woo! <laughs> It's amazing, and people buy these magazines to find out all about their their pop stars and what have you. And yet, they've never met them. So they know about them, but they're not, and never have been intimate with them. It's possible for church leaders, church leaders, to know all about the Creator God. To know the Bible. To know when to say lift your hands. To know how to lead. I think you can even I think you can even build big churches by knowing about God. But God doesn't want us to know about him, he wants us to know him. The apostle Paul said that I might know him. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, the intimacy. That comes. The word know there is the same word that's used about the closest union that any couple can have when Adam knew Eve. The sexual intercourse, the intimacy of two bodies being joined as one. And the Apostle Paul said, I, I, I want to know him intimately and the power of his resurrection. <laughs> Are you in on the chase? Or is it you, you want a bigger church and you want better meetings, but actually time spent in chasing God is perhaps not what it ought to be. In 1 Peter chapter 2 it says this, To you who believe he is precious. It's a good question. How precious is he to you? <laughs> this whole thing of the heart of a church leader. See, those who encounter God are never the same again. Never. Even the wise men that came, they were wise because they sought Jesus and they actually found Jesus and they worshipped Jesus and once they'd done that, they returned home a different way. You always return a different way when you've encountered the Lord Jesus. When... This, these days have long gone, although I've got a grandson now. Oh, I've got to tell you this. Let me just tell you this. My son is married to Alan Hewitt's daughter. How many of you know Alan Hewitt? Is, 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 you know, I think that if he keeps humble, he'll make it as a preacher one day. <laughs> and uh, 
we grew up together, Alan and I. So, you know, we've been kind of pals and everything like that. But we never thought that it happened that my son is married to his daughter. Now, you've got to hear this. Last year, they produced our first grandchild, a little boy. His name, this is important, is Ezekiel. It is Ezekiel John, not Ezekiel Allen. All right? Just wanted you to know that. Ezekiel John, not Ezekiel Allen. I love it. <laughs> What's that got to do with what I was saying? Oh, yes. So, when little Ezekiel John was born, as with all babies, and they want feeding, they want the breast, they want the milk, they want, they want feeding, let me tell you, it's no good going and getting that soft little book with the little pop-up people in and saying, Gucci, 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 have a look at this, because the baby still cries. You can take them to where you've bought that great big puppet house. Not, what, what, what they are. You, you seem to know a lot about the, all these kind of things. <laughs> these houses that you build and can go in, the little kids can go in. Wendy houses! Wendy houses. See, I knew you was intelligent. <laughs> when the baby's crying for food, you can take them to the best Wendy house going, but they'll carry on crying. You can get the baby and say, come on, I'm taking you to Toys R Us. But nothing satisfies, because all that they want is feeding. All that they want is the milk. The only time you'll shut them up is when they're being fed. Are you on the chase? Is there nothing else that will really satisfy you than knowing God and God alone? Because the heart, the heart of a leader is someone that determines, hey, above everything else, above everything else, I'm going to seek after Knowing him. (laughs) I heard a story just this last week. About a pastor that crawled out of his office on his hands and knees. Crawled out. And his deacons or his elders were out there. And they saw him come crawling out. And he'd been in a meeting with Smith Wigglesworth. Those of you who don't know, he, he was a great apostle of faith, man of God, man of the Holy Spirit. And this pastor had been in his office with Smith Wigglesworth. And this is a true story. It's actually written down in the journals. They asked him, what on earth is the matter? And this is what he said. There's just too much of God in there. That's something, isn't it? There's just too much of God in there. Something about the presence of Smith Wigglesworth must have opened up the door and brought in the presence of God in some kind of way. Imagine if we didn't have dinner today. Or perhaps you call it lunch because you're quite posh in Cambridge, aren't you? Because suddenly there came an invasion. the presence of God where we could do none other than bow in worship when we found our hearts were strangely warmed within and we couldn't explain it but suddenly what was an ordinary regional day I feel I'm speaking prophetically 
suddenly was turned around into something quite, quite, quite unique. God himself came and did his own unique work amongst us. The heart of the church leader is a heart that seeks after God and God alone. Bill Johnson, I think it was, has said this, I owe my people an encounter with God. It's quite something. You owe your people an encounter with God. I owe I owe you, because I'm ministering to you today, I owe you the reality of having heard the voice of the Master. Listen to me. We do not get a revival by seeking a revival. We get a revival by seeking the God of revival. And when we seek him, all kinds of things can happen. Oh, my time's nearly gone and I've only got to... You're all thinking, what bits of the body has he got in there? <laughs> I've got lots of bits, but, but hang on a minute. What's that coming out of your heart? It's the aorta. The aorta is, without a doubt, the largest artery out of the heart. And it actually... With every beat, carries the blood to every part of the body. That's an interesting thought. <laughs> this this bit, when I was writing it on Wednesday night, or was it Thursday night? It was either wet, might have been Thursday night, Wednesday or Thursday night. I was in my little boat. If I mentioned I've got a boat, there's three things that happen when you you get old, right? One of them is that you lose your memory and the second one is you repeat yourself and the third one is I can't remember what the third one is <laughs> this is the bit that excited me the most I have to be honest I started to get a bit of a tingle I, I started to really oh, have one of those little great moments when I began to think that the aorta pumps the blood to every part of the body. <laughs> now, it may be old-fashioned, what I'm going to say, and it may be an unpopular topic, but I urge you again, please, get back to preaching about the blood. Get back to preaching about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Let's start singing about it again. Let's start preaching about it again. Let's start experiencing the power of it again. Let's start carrying it from our hearts to every part of the body. Let's take it into the communities. Let's take it to the drug addicts. Let's take it to the bank managers. Let's take it to the people of the garage or the people in the co-op. Let's carry something of the work and the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> because it was by the blood of the Lord that we were cleansed. Oh, as far as the east is from the west. 
so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I, I like talking about the blood. I'm working at the moment, and it'll be some months I'm sure, but I'm working on a message that just relates to blood. Because I tell you, there's something wonderful about the blood. And when we think about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, then why? Anything can happen. <laughs> Man, woman, boy, girl, tribe and nation. Revelation teaches us, as I've already said, that it's not just the word of our testimony, but it's by the blood of the Lamb that we defeat the enemy. And in the dissecting of the anatomy of the Christian leader, I want to say to us, we ought to have big aortas. <laughs> we ought to have big archeries connected to our hearts, carrying a message of the cross and Christ's shed blood. What does the blood speak to me about? I know it speaks about power, but it speaks to me most of all about the fact of forgiven sins. Now listen to me. Go for miracles. I've already told you that. Let's get back to that whole message of believing for the supernatural. Oh, yes. But I want to say, if you are an apostle here, do the work of the evangelist. Oh, she's not a very good apostle. If you are a pastor here, do the work of the evangelist. Oh, she's a pretty pathetic pastor. Uh, and let me tell you, if you're a prophet here, do the work of the evangelist, else you're not a very good prophet. And if you're a Bible teacher here, do the work of the evangelist, uh, else you're a pretty lousy teacher. Because nowhere in the Bible does it say, do the work of the apostle, or the pastor, or the teacher, or the prophet. But every single one of us is called to do the work of the evangelist. There is still no greater miracle that takes place. If this morning it was that somebody was brought up here without arms and legs and just a torso and a head. And in the name of Jesus, something that you'd never seen, I've never seen, but God could do it. Suddenly the arms and the legs appear. The revival that would break out, the clap and the applause and the shouts of glory to God would resound right around Cambridge and right around the country. What a miracle. And yet every time, every time that a person receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, it is a miracle far greater than the one I've just described. It's somebody that then passes from death to eternal life. Out of the darkness into his most glorious light. And I can't help it. You know, people said to me, John... When you do this, this role of national leader, just be yourself. Which is a good thing to say, really, because it's very hard to be somebody else. <laughs> stupid, stupid. Be yourself. Well, uh, I was going to try and be the queen. <laughs> I think I know what they meant. They were trying to be encouraging. <laughs> we do say some daft things, don't we? I mean, you know, it's like when you... The gents, you go to the. To- I, was, I went to the toilet at one regional day, uh, and this pastor, he stood next to me. He said, "Oh, fancy seeing you here." <laughs> As if you, when you become the national leader, you don't need to go to the loo. I mean, what? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, we won't go there. I mean, well. <laughs> oh dear. I tell you what beats most within me. Seeing churches planted and pioneered and people being born again of the Spirit of God. I can't help it. I, 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 I suppose predominantly that's what I love to do the most. Talk to others about 
Jesus. And what I'm saying is, at the heart of my message, and one that I will carry wherever I go, is to do the work of the evangelist. Because the heart of the leader is connected to the archery, or the aorta, which is the greatest artery. And out of that pumps the blood, and the blood speaks to me of Calvary. And it speaks to me of a cross. And it speaks to me of a Christ. And it speaks to me of the great plan of salvation, whereby men and women can be born again of the Spirit of God. And so it is that I've got a few more here, but our time has gone. And already some of you are rushing ahead and thinking, what else could he be talking about? If I had had time, I had some notes about the backbone. I had some notes about the leader's hands. And since then I've began to really think, and I want to develop this whole thing because I think it's quite important. We could have looked at the shoulders of a leader and the muscles and the brain and the bowels. That gets rid of all the rubbish, you know. And the joints and the appendix and the liver and the bones and the reproductive organs. Don't be embarrassed by that because there is seed within you that can reproduce after the same kind as that is within you. There's the ankles, there's the soul, there's the spirit. And there's so, so, so much more. But you have been fearfully, wonderfully made. You are unique and you are special. You are important and you are a leader. And as such, well, look after yourself. (laughs) Work hard and play hard. Be soft enough to shed a tear and be strong enough to stand for truth. Laugh often and don't take yourself too seriously. But best of all, you be yourself as well. Don't try and copy someone else. Great testimony as it was. Don't just do what our brother's doing because he's doing it. Get the revelation that every one of us needs to be involved in social action. (laughs) Be yourself. And finally, after all, God has made you you, and thank God for this truth. Nobody's anatomy is quite like yours. Stand with me, please. Father, I thank you for every leader that is here, and I pray that you will help us in our leadership to grow. We make a choice, we make a decision to seek to be the best leaders that we can possibly be, to constantly learn, to receive instruction, to receive even the rod. But, oh God, we lay our all before you and we say, take us, use us for your glory. Bless every single person here and may our heads and our hearts be consecrated to you as never before. In Jesus' name. Amen.